Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Cry Wolf, written by Marjorie Carrollton. A classic World War II romantic thriller that was made into the 1940s film noir masterpiece starring Barbara Stanwyck and Errol Flynn. After learning her husband is dead, Sandra Marshall visits his remote family estate to claim her inheritance. There, Sandra faces a cold reception from her husband's uncle, research scientist Mark Caldwell, who is also the administrator of his rather large inheritance. For some reason, her husband had never told his uncle about their wedding, and he accuses Sandra of lying about the marriage, but allows her to stay until he can verify her story. However, her husband's teenage niece, Julie, welcomes Sandra with open arms but soon tells Sandra that Mark is holding her prisoner and that strange things are going on in the sealed-off area of the mansion where he does his research. Julie also implies the other family members and servants are not telling the truth about the circumstances of Sandra's husband's death. Mark defends himself by saying Julie has an overactive imagination, leaving Sandra to wonder who and what she can believe. Sandra determines to find out for herself, not realizing that in doing so she will become marked for murder by one of the most brilliant and scheming intellects she has ever encountered. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Cry Wolf. Chapter 1 She dodged agilely through the Harvard Square traffic, though the portfolio struck her knee smartly at every other step. One had to be agile in this chaos. So the pleated skirt above the long, slim legs swirled autumn brown among the cars, eddying and subsiding like a bewitched maple leaf. She reached the safety of her street and fell into an easier stride. The twilight, unlike the permanent dusk of the Peabody Museum from which she had emerged, was punctuated with the late fall scent with the dried crackle of forgotten bonfires, and with windows whose glow was discreetly muted, yet somehow unmistakable, like a suppressed laugh. Sandra was almost reluctant to leave the street and start up the rambling walk that led to her grandfather's house. It was a famous walk, of course, and she had been reminded since childhood that its bricks were already warping with age, when Longfellow had paid his first weekly visit. Grandfather, poor dear, was a bit of a snob intellectually. That judgment brought a smile to her wide red mouth, and she burst into the house, chanting at the top of her voice, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, 1807 to 1882. Give me an A-plus, Dr. Marshall. Did you ever know me to remember exact dates before? Her grandfather's voice came with subdued petulance from his usual place by the library fire. "'My dear Sandra, must you always greet me at night in some totally unexpected and absurd fashion?' "'Good for your circulation, darling.' Sandra was unabashed as she crossed the room and kissed the top of his head. The fine-spun silver of his hair reached in groomed and shining vanity to his black velvet shoulders. 
At ninety-two you should be annoyed at least once a day. Last night, he went on with frigid distaste, it was a strange and abominable little kitten that you dropped on my lap without any warning whatsoever. I see it's right back there again, Sandra said calmly. Don't you think it's about time for at least one lamp? I do indeed. Perhaps you would then observe that we have a guest. Sandra paused an unstartled second, then switched on a lamp, as a man came forward from the shadow of the bay window where he had been standing. He was blond, boyish, and intense. All these things struck her as she murmured in apologetic, Oh, I'm frightfully sorry. Sandra, this is James Caldwell Dimmerest, son of a former student of mine. She shook hands. Students generally expected that, and added resignedly, You'll stay for dinner, of course. They always did. Sometimes she thought that at one time or another her grandfather must have dined all of Harvard Yard. But young Mr. Dimmerest shook his head. No, he said. No, on an odd, breathless note. Thanks, just the same. I simply wanted to consult your grandfather on a personal matter. Well, then, if you'll excuse me. Sandra pulled her scarf from sleek bronze hair and turned to leave the room. But Dr. Marshall halted her. Don't go. We want your advice, Jim and I, on a rather strange situation. His hand was as composed as ever as he stroked the kitten, but Sandra recognized the sparkle in his eyes. What's he up to now? she wondered suspiciously. In her experience... Edward Copley Marshall, even at ninety-two, was very apt to be up to something. Would you like me to tell her? Dr. Marshall asked his guest, who had moved back again into the shadows beyond the fire, now that Sandra was seated. But he didn't wait for an answer. For one thing, he held that the art of exposition was becoming extinct and trusted it to no one else. You're always weak in remembering family trees, Sandra, but it's simple enough. This lad, Jim, is named for his father, James Dimmerest, now deceased. His mother was Ellen Caldwell, also deceased. Jim and his young sister are therefore wards of his maternal uncle, Mark Caldwell. Wards? Sandra raised polite eyebrows. I hadn't thought you so young, Mr. Dimmerest. Dr. Marshall was irritable. Don't quibble. His sister, who is only seventeen, is still a ward. Jim, of course, is his own master. Except as far as his inheritance is concerned. I'm coming to that. The Caldwells are an immensely wealthy family, all of them. Or were, he cackled suddenly, before this fellow Morgenthau began picking pockets. Jim's mother left him over two million dollars and his sister about half that amount. These were astronomical figures, and Sandra sat calmly under them. Now, if her grandfather had mentioned one thousand, all that she would need for the whole five months of the field expedition to Mexico, her eyes dreamed. The trouble is this, 
her grandfather went on sharply, and Sandra jumped. "'According to his mother's will, Jim receives only an allowance until he is thirty or married. He wants control of his capital now, but he's just twenty-four. "'Well, that's simple. Why don't you get married, Mr. Dimmerest?' The young voice replied hoarsely and gloomily from the shadows. "'I've been engaged.' My fiancé broke it off with hardly a word of explanation. I have reason to think my uncle was responsible. Even at twenty-two, Sandra was healthily skeptical. Why should he want to break up your engagement? Dr. Marshall moved so suddenly that the kitten squeaked and jumped from his lap. Really, Sandra, concentrate. As soon as Jim marries, his uncle will lose control over two million dollars. But you said the Caldwells were all wealthy. So they are. But Mark Caldwell is a scientist. Oh. Sandra nodded. That answered her question. No scientist knew anything about money, except that he needed a lot of it and never had enough. Never. What's his line? she asked idly. Chemistry. His laboratory's in the house. He's doing some government work now. Very hush-hush, you know. Jim Dimmerest's voice sounded a bit sullen, as though she had sidetracked him. She caught the tone, and her voice was gentle. You and Grandfather want me to hear about your problem, so don't mind if I comment. I gather you only have suspicions of your uncle. Time generally clears up such things. He came forward then into the lamplight, and his hands were clenched. There is such a thing as giving time too much rope. I've been turned down by all the services here, a foot damaged when I was a kid. Just the same, I'm pretty sure I can enlist in Canada. But I don't dare. I literally don't dare go away leaving Uncle Mark in control of my money. Now, if I married before I enlisted... A strange and probably unscrupulous wife would have control instead of your uncle, Sandra interrupted briskly. Dimmerest leaned toward her over the table. My wife would be strange, naturally, he said slowly, for I don't even know who she'll be yet. But I have hopes that she wouldn't be unscrupulous. It's for advice on this that I've come to Dr. Marshall. I was young when my father died. But I remember him speaking of your grandfather again and again. And I'm beginning to have more faith in my father's judgment than in my poor mother's. There was a little silence, and then Dr. Marshall spoke mildly. It may sound a bit impractical, Sandra, but it's Jim's idea that he should marry some respectable young woman under a verbal agreement that she will divorce him after six months for desertion. You see, he really would desert her immediately after the ceremony. For this assistance in helping him gain control of his own money, Jim proposes to settle ten thousand upon this young woman at once, from his allowance. Sandra's lips curled a little satirically. Rather an ample allowance— Wicked uncles must have changed since I read fairy tales. 
Where are you going to find this paragon of respectability and cupidity? Matrimonial Bureau? That's where I come in, her grandfather said, to advise him on the young woman he should select. His tone was complacent, and Sandra burst out laughing. You fraud! Do you entertain dashing damsels all day while I grub in the museum? Then she stood up and her face sobered. Don't think I'm unsympathetic, Mr. Dimmerest, but I'm afraid I can't be very helpful. You've talked to Grandfather at length, and he knows a hundred details that it would bore you both to go over again. But I couldn't possibly contribute any advice, knowing as little as I do. So, if you'll excuse me, I think I'll brush up a bit before dinner. Dr. Marshall raised a slim hand, almost as silvery and transparent as his hair. What do you want to know, Sandra, specifically? A sense of uneasiness gripped her, and her tone was curt because of it. Well, really, Grandfather, why doesn't Mr. Dimrest consult lawyers? Surely his uncle has to render regular trustees' reports. The whole thing sounds so foggy and fantastic and early Victorian. And the two of them look it, too, she thought suddenly. Grandfather as ivory and exquisite as a Regency cameo, and this blonde youngster with his Byronic and imaginary tragedies. She smiled maternally at the latter. Go ahead and enlist, and forget this marriage business. I'm only twenty-two, but take it from me. Any girl who'd marry a stranger for such mercenary reasons shouldn't be trusted half as much as you'd trust your uncle. James Dimmerest nodded slowly, and she noted that his eyelashes were as thick and pale as flax above the intense blue eyes. I've thought of that, he said. That's why I didn't canvass any casual acquaintances, but came to your grandfather instead. He hesitated. Perhaps the right type of girl could think of it this way, that if I died in the service, she had helped to make my sister independent, for Julie will be my principal beneficiary. Sandra's face was still noncommittal as he went on. May I change my mind and stay for dinner after all? Perhaps this evening you'd let me give you a little more rounded picture. His eyelids were heavy now, as though he were suddenly tired. Through circumstances beyond my control, I have no real friends. But my father told me that no one ever left this door without having been helped. Of course you can stay and tell me all about it, Sandra said. And then, because the atmosphere was a bit too tense, added with a twinkle, I must warn you about the way Grandfather helps people. It's by seeing to it that they do exactly as they want, regardless of convention or morality. That's why everyone leaves here as happy as a cricket, and then spends a lifetime wondering how he could have gotten into such hot water after such excellent advice from the eminent Dr. Marshall. Her grandfather leaned down and picked up the kitten from its box. It batted at his hands with infinitesimal needles. 
A touch of malice is as becoming to a woman as claws are to a kitten, Demarest, he commented placidly. We must let her exercise it occasionally, keeping well out of reach, of course. By the way, Sandra, you haven't spoken of it lately, but I was wondering today. Yes? Is it this month or next that the field expedition to Mexico starts out? We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Cry Wolf. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.